and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is titled, Belonging, and it was based on Luke 5, 1-11. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. Well, to all of you moms in the house or worshiping online, for your abiding love for us, for your endless sacrifices, for your fervent prayers, for nurturing us at times when we were lovable and at times where we weren't very lovable. Moms, thank you. We love you. We give thanks to you, moms. We also know that holidays, including Mother's Day, can also evoke pain and hurt. So for those of you mothers and grandmothers who have lost, we stand with you. For those of you who ache, wishing you could have relationship with your mom, we love you and we stand with you. Who those of you who wish and long to be moms, we love you. For those of you who might feel societal pressure to be moms, we love you. Our identity is found in Christ, far greater than anything else. Father, we give you thanks on this Mother's Day for moms who poured so much into our lives. We also pray, God, for those who are wounded, who are hurting today. That's what family's about. That's what it means to be a church family. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And we anguish with those who are hurting. Teach us more about what it means to belong together as a community of faith centered in you, Jesus. Would you teach us? Would you shape us and mold us more into the character of Christ so we might love each other with the love of Christ, so we might serve our neighbors with the servanthood of Christ, so we might sacrifice with the sacrifice of Christ for the flourishing of all peoples, our neighbors right here and those who are many places around the world. We pray all this, asking you to speak to us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My spiritual journey is an example of how church can damage people's faith, and how church can evoke and uplift people's faith. When I was a sophomore in high school, my brother, who'd been an atheist, committed his life to Christ. It was kind of surprising for us, surprising for him. He had had a group of friends who were intellectual. They, they, they went on to MIT and, and Rochester Institute of Technology, other places like that. And it surprised him. There were these thinking people who were spiritual and They engaged with him, answered his questions, walked alongside him. He felt belonging and he committed his life uh, to Christ. He began to share with me and and I began to go to a student ministry with him at a church in our hometown outside of Seattle. And there was a Bible study with probably 30 or 40 high school students. and, And there was some kind of Bible study discussion. I think something came up about the Pharisees and I asked a question. And everyone laughed. Now, I think it was innocent because I think everyone just assumed, well, Greg's here, so he, he's a Christ follower. He understands this, so he must be joking. And, and, and Greg jokes a lot, okay? But I was yearning. I was seeking. I was searching. And when they laughed, I shut down. And for the next couple of years, I completely shut down. I wouldn't ask anyone any spiritual question. I didn't go to church much. I, I didn't talk about faith because I didn't want to be embarrassed. I didn't want to be wounded. I didn't want to be hurt. Then I was recruited to play baseball in college, and there were some guys on the baseball team who are Christ followers. 
And they were cool guys. I enjoyed hanging out with them. And they invited me to a Bible study. And, and I was like, man, do I want to do this? And I went to a Bible study, probably 12, 15 guys in a dorm room on the, you know, you know, the beanbag chairs and the floor and the bunk beds. And, um, and someone passed me a Bible, a big red Bible. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, I don't know how this thing works, right? And then they began to call out like, okay, let's be in Exodus. And there was, okay, James and Psalms and Gospel of John. And I'm turning, pretending I know where I am. Okay, so they must have known, man, Moselle, he has no idea where we are, what we're, what's going on. But they didn't say anything. And, and, and I learned some things, and I felt safe. And then afterwards, we went out, you know, and, and um, hung out together. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. I want to come back. And, and they invited me back. And for the next couple of years, they engaged me wrestling with incredible intellectual questions. Questions about my own brokenness. How, how could a God who really knows me... See, if you really knew me, you probably wouldn't want to be with me. And so if this God who really knows us really knows me, that's where grace became real. And I devoted my life to Christ. Belonging. You see, uh, every week, belonging, believing, becoming, which is our church's mission, our, our vision, belonging, believing, becoming. It all begins with belonging. Because a higher percentage of people are going to walk through our doors, rather they arrive first coming in worship, or, or rather it's through serving in the food pantry or the shelter or through friendship or you know, however people might arrive who are going to be further away from any grasp of the Christian faith. Who are going to wonder when we say John 3.16, who's this John guy and what are the little dots between the 3 and the 16? What's going on, right? Like me and like so many people. And many of them are going to have a lot, of, a boatload of questions to ask. And they're going to fear rejection by the church. Community Action Council in, in, in the Pioneer Valley conducted a survey a few years ago. And they asked middle school and high school students, probably high school students, what's your greatest anxiety, your greatest fear? Do you know what was number one? Walking into school every morning. Just crossing that threshold and walking into not sure what, am I going to be accepted, rejected? What's going to happen? Am I going to feel smart? Am I going to feel dumb? Is anybody going to sit with me? Well, the same thing happens with church. When we cross that threshold, there's, there's this fear of what's this thing going to be like? Is this going to be like one of those politicized places? Is this going to be like fire and brimstone? Am I going to stick out because I'm not dressed right? Are people going to greet me? Am I going to know what's going on? And there can be a tremendous amount of fear. Because that it's going to take longer for most people, like me, and like a growing percentage of people in our community, it's going to take longer to come to the place to really be open to who Jesus is. People are going to need to belong longer than ever. Often, not everyone, but many people before coming to believe. But we also want people to come to the place to make their decision about believing in Jesus. Because once, once a community becomes a safe place to ask questions, once trust is built, once people can actually see the gospel and all its messiness lived out, and when it isn't lived out, there's grace for each other and healing. When people sniff that out, I mean, how else can people know who Jesus is unless they see Jesus? People living it out 
in the messiness of grace together, that opens people's hearts and minds to, to come to believe. That's why First Baptist Church will always be a gospel-centered church. Not, not some kind of therapeutic deism where Jesus can be your therapist. Although Jesus often helps us to heal. Or not just some kind of behavior modification where we have all these external codes and if you live up to it, then you're in. But instead, the gospel that is transformative, that, that is upside down, that's counterintuitive, that God loves us so much that Christ would sacrifice His life and that we come to Him wounded and broken and depraved in the foot of the cross. There's forgiveness. And then we arise as a people not trying to live out some kind of religious standards, but saying, Jesus, my life is a thank offering because You've rescued me. Now I live my life saying, God, thank you on this journey together. But we also don't just want people sitting in the pews on Sundays and then having no change the rest of the week at work or in our homes or in our everyday lives or our thoughts. And so belonging, believing, becoming more like Christ. Oh, how our world needs more people reflecting who Jesus really is in a culture where there is just tremendous confusion and caricatures. I think not all, but many people who reject Christ are really rejecting a character of Christ and not who Jesus really is. We need a bunch of little Jesuses running around, right, who are more like Christ. Belonging, believing, becoming. And this, this mission, this vision, this journey that God calls us on is beautifully um, given to us as an example in Peter's journey. So the Apostle Peter was one of the three closest to Jesus. You know, Peter, James, and John were kind of these three who, who Jesus especially invested in, raised up. Our, our Catholic brothers and, and sisters would say that Peter was the first pope. So Peter is, is, is a, a real towering leader in defining the Christian faith, but it wasn't always that way. See, first, Peter needed to experience belonging. And we read about this in Luke chapter 5. Where we read, Simon Peter fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. Peter's first encounter with Jesus, he says, Go away. I don't measure up. I've seen the miracles you've done. I've heard your, your teaching. No way will I ever measure up to that. You don't want me. How many people are like that today in our lives? We say, I, I, the church, I don't know if I could be accepted there. And God, I mean, I've got this guilt and this stuff from my past. and I don't know if God would really want. Just, just It'd be easier to keep it at a safe distance. And Jesus doesn't say, okay, Peter, here's a list to believe. Go through these things. If you believe all these articles, then you can follow me. That's not what Jesus says. Instead, Jesus just says two things. Number one is, follow me. Come on and check it out. Come follow. See what this is about. You'll learn. You'll grow. You'll be challenged. Check it out. Come on and in community where you belong. Follow me. And the second thing that's so cool, he says, you can serve. See, he's already used his boat. Right? He's already said, hey, Peter, you know, can I use your boat? Thank you. I have a feeling Jesus just stepped into the boat. It's like, uh, okay, yeah. 
And then he says, you know what? You're going to be fishing for things greater than fish, but for people, for helping to rescue people's lives and souls with the God who's the lover of their souls. You know, I think a lot of the new evangelism is in serving. We've seen more and more people who, who have either come to Christ or at least community through serving in the food pantry or serving in the homeless shelter or serving on the media team or, or serving playing an instrument or serving helping to clean the church. We're just serving. How else can people know what the gospel is beyond words? Although the gospel has to be in words. It has to be understood, but unless it's lived out side by side in community together. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. So now about two years, probably a little over two years later, Peter's ready to express what I think has been growing, but he's so it's been safe for him to belong. And now, a little over two years later, we see him expressing that he's believing who Jesus really is. Uh, we read about this a little over two years later. If we can have the next passage. There we go, Mark chapter 8. Jesus asked, who do people say I am? And they were like, well, some say John the Baptist, and, uh, others Elijah. Well, still others say one of the prophets. Oh, but, but, but what about... You, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. There was tremendous confusion about who Jesus is. And so Jesus began saying, so, so who do the people out there? Who does the culture say that I am? That'd be fascinating for us to be asked that same question, wouldn't it? So, so, so what do you see on social media about Jesus? What is the latest Netflix documentary about Christianity talking about? What's the latest column in the New York Times about the Christian faith? What do we hear in the academy? What are politicians saying, claiming Jesus is our guy, he's on our side, right? And what are our neighbors' questions, and what are they wrestling with about faith? There's tremendous confusion, just like in our world in our culture, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our families. There's, there's confusion about who Jesus really is. And then Jesus asked the most important question that will ever be asked. Who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? This is what captivated me. See, I'm not a very religious guy. I might have forgotten to mention that in the interview back 23 years ago. I'm not really a very religious pastor. Okay? But here, here's a, I chafe against a certain amount of religion that's like check off the boxes and dress and act and speak Christianese and do all the right things. Because uh, that's what the Pharisees did, and Jesus was not very happy with them. But, but what we're talking about really here is how unique Jesus is. And this is what compelled me. See, Jesus is the only deity, the only God who came to earth, not to plunder or extract, but to show us who God is and to sacrifice His life to rescue us. You see, it's easy for a deity, a supposed deity from a distance to say, make these sacrifices or give your life in, in battle. But Jesus says, here's what I'm calling you to do, and I've done this as a human before you as an example and so that you might understand what it means to really follow me. Wow. I fell in love with Jesus because of that. No one else came to rescue me. 
When I was lost, broken, depraved, damaged, and no one has stuck with me, well, other than Carol and some friends, but no one has really stuck with me the way that Jesus has. So, Jesus first invites Peter and others to belong. Two years later, after questions and watching and celebrating and tension among the community and, and, and learning to care for each other, Peter finally says, ah, guys, I got it. I'm, I'm going to take the risk. You are the Messiah. Wow. And when we say believe, let's remember that in the New Testament, the Greek word, because the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language, and we translate it in languages of, of the world's word, pastuo, it's, it's not only an intellectual belief, although that's true, it's trust. It's like, will you actually take this step of trust? Will we trust Jesus is unique as the God who's come to rescue us? Will we trust that when we confess our sins, they'll be nailed to the cross? Will we trust to take the next step, even if it's sacrificial, even if it's serving, even if it's caring, even if it's uncomfortable, to trust in following Jesus? Will we trust our souls that God has an eternal home for an inheritance that could go beyond anything this broken, shattered, violent world could ever imagine? I say this all the time. I'm going to keep on saying it. I pray the church will be the safest place on earth for the messiness of God's grace to work in our lives and God's truth. You know, the gospel is the intersection of grace and truth. That's the gospel. Belonging, believing. But now we see Peter becoming more devout to Christ, more committed to Christ. There'll be ups and downs on his journey. But a beautiful example of this comes in John chapter 6. And we read, from this time on, uh, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you want to leave too? Jesus asked. Oh, Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter has gone from, go away from me, Jesus, to there's nowhere else I would ever be. He's becoming more like Christ. He's becoming... His life is being merged with Christ. And he's becoming more devoted to Christ. You see, Jesus is asking this in the midst of cost. Because a lot of people had gathered around Jesus, because, you know, feeding of the 5,000. Hey, there's, there's, uh, uh, there's good meals here, right? And these miracles, man, man, we're, this is awesome. And then Jesus begins speaking more about the cost of following him. The cost of loving others when it's difficult to love others. The cost of, of sacrificing with generosity when we, when our culture might tell us <laughs> we'll look better if we keep more, right? But sometimes following Christ has a cost. It has sacrifice. It can sometimes be countercultural. And at that point, many people begin to say, ah, that's, that's too high a cost. And they left. And Jesus is saying, how about you? And I think Jesus often asks us the same question when it gets tough, when temptations arise when there's costly sacrifice to follow Jesus, he says, uh, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where else will we go? You have the words, uh, we, we could search the world and maybe find some quick fixes, but you have the words of eternal life. You're the one that we can, there's nothing else in this world we can stand on that's more sure than your, the eternal life that you give to us, which means you're with us in the journey, and it's based on God's character. God's character never changes, therefore God's truth will never change. It's the most certain thing we can ever stand on in this life. 
And, you know, Peter not only goes from, go away from me, Lord, to there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Then he'll have some failures and Jesus will seek him out and raise him back up. And then he will stand at at Pentecost. He'll preach a sermon. 3,000 people come to Christ. What an anointed sermon from a guy who said, no way could I ever belong. And then he'll be brought before the Sanhedrin and they say, we, the same people who killed Jesus, tell him, stop talking about Jesus. And he says, respectfully, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. What courage. And then he writes in First and Second Peter, these two letters, to the church in the province of Asia that's experiencing persecution. And he leans in and encourages them to stay faithful in the midst of even when there's persecution, oppression, and suffering. Belonging, believing, becoming. Let me give an example of this from years ago and then someone who we know well. Carolyn and I were um, coming home from Portland, Oregon years ago, and um, we, we were at PDX, Portland International Airport, and I heard a voice in the concourse said, Greg Moselle, thinking, I'm either being called home, I'm dying, or I turned, it's a six foot three, well-dressed business guy, and his name is Matt Baldwin. And I'm like, Matt, he's, oh, I hadn't seen him in years. And we sat down and we chatted together, and he was heading out on a business trip. And, and I said, do you remember the night? He said, oh, yeah. It was a night that changed my life. See, when Matt showed up at our church, Bethany Church in Portland, he was an angry young man, a high school sophomore. Uh, his parents had moved to Dubai because his father was a business executive, and, and he hated it there. And then they, and then they moved to, to Portland, Oregon, and he wasn't happy about that. And, and they tried to make him go to church, and he was just really an angry young man. And he, and he walked into our student ministry, Sunday Night Live, on a Sunday night, and he walks in, and literally, I, I kid you not, he looks at me, and, and, and he says, am I going to enjoy tonight? No. And he just walks by. Oh, that's welcome. That's a nice, that's a good start. And he was really brooding, okay? I mean, you could tell he's like, I'm here because my parents are making me. And then at the end of the evening, he's just kind of standing over there alone. And then I watch these four guys. And these guys, like, one of them went on to become a worship pastor, and another became a student ministries pastor, another a missionary. The, These are guys sold out for the kingdom. And I watched them walk across the room. And they just introduced themselves and they started chatting. Oh, what high school? He said Jesuit high school. Oh, you know, we go to Glencoe or here, Sunset, whatever. And probably a half hour later, most people are leaving and they're still just standing around talking. Next Sunday morning, Matt's in church. Next Sunday night, he's in church. Commits his life to Christ. When he goes off to college, he meets this wonderful Christian woman in a Christian ministry. They have a couple of children. They are very um, devoted with their church. They're following Christ. And you see, it all began when four guys just walked across the room and helped Matt feel like he belongs, that he's valued, that they revealed to him how God really feels about him. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great day.